You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. Okay, so today is the final talk in a series we've been doing for the last few months called Already Good, and we've been exploring the doctrine of original sin and considered original blessing as an alternative. So uh, if you're new or visiting today, then I'd really encourage you to check out the previous week's talks uh, on our SoundCloud page, or you can just search for Oasis Church Bath wherever you access podcasts. Uh, So in case you have no idea what original sin is, uh, this is Danielle Schroyer's definition from her book, Original Blessing, which is one of the books that we've been uh, using during this series. So in its most basic terms, the doctrine of original sin argues two things. One, that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden, as told in the book of Genesis, something negatively and permanently shifted in their nature. And two, this nature has been passed on to every human being since. So my job today is to sort of bring everything that we've been looking at together a little bit and consider how it might impact our lives now and in the future. And it's really important to me that whenever we think about like an aspect of theology, and theology is just, it sounds like a big word, it's not. It comes from two Greek words, theos and logos, just means God and word or message or idea. So we're all, we all do theology, we're all theologians because we all think and say things about God. That's all theology is. Um, so when we have ideas or thoughts or words about God, it's always really important that, um, yeah, we always ask how we can actually apply those things and what difference it makes to our lives and to the lives of others. And um, I've talked about this before, but I often use this really simple reflective cycle, which helps us bring things sort of full circle, I think, and make sure that ideas and concepts don't just stay in our heads, but actually make it into our choices and everyday lives. Otherwise, it's a bit pointless, isn't it, really? Um, So we start with the what, so the the topic, the issue, the question or or the idea. So in this case, we're thinking about original sin and original blessing. Uh, Then we ask, so what? What's the point of it? Why are we looking at it? Why is it important? Why does it impact us? Um, And then the now what, which is sort of what we should do in response what does it mean how what should change what should be different because of this kind of learning or um yeah new understanding and i think the first two we we probably covered in the last few months but maybe it'd be helpful particularly if you've missed some or all of the series for me just to sort of briefly recap on what we've covered through a whistle stop tour of, of the series as a whole so i'll do that very briefly So we began with an introduction to the doctrine of original sin so you know what it is why it exists where it came from I say we explored it from a biblical perspective, but actually that led us to conclude that it's not in the Bible and we perhaps therefore should consider an alternative. So then we moved on to a bit of a critique of original sin and we introduced the concept of original goodness or original blessing. Those terms are sort of used interchangeably, but they mean the same thing, meaning that we were born good and we are inherently full of goodness. And we looked at what the impact of original sin has been. And, you know, how does it make us feel about ourselves? How does it, um, yeah, impact everyone and everything? And what the impact of believing we're already good might be. And I think it's raised some difficult questions, which we, we tried to tackle. Um, so things like, you know, how can we explain evil? Why do we sin or mess up? You know, it doesn't, if we're all good already, then why, why do we do those things? Why do people do that? So we looked at that. We got curious about why we do things and why others do things that cause harm. And we also look back at the original meaning of the word sin. So we 
tried to understand what it actually means and we thought about how the trajectory or direction we're headed in is perhaps more important than like the specific sort of target or goal and we said that following Jesus or the way uh, keeps us heading in that right direction there's always the opportunity to change direction or turn around if we find ourselves off course which is actually what repentance means just to turn around or change your mind and we looked at repentance through that uh, Jewish lens through some different stages And we then thought a bit about the neuroscience of original goodness, so how our brains and bodies are designed to rewire and renew, how there's goodness in us and how we should start from our belovedness, not our brokenness. We took a look back at the creation story in Genesis that asked maybe how original blessing might change how we view that story. And finally, last week, we asked what Jesus' purpose in coming was. You know, if it wasn't to save us from sin or fix some sort of separation we have from God, then uh, why? And Rob explored that last week. It's quite a lot, isn't it? We've covered quite a lot of, of big things. So hopefully that's you know roughly the what and the so what. And yeah, for the rest of this morning, I'm going to be thinking about the now what and encouraging us all to do the same as the now what I think is going to look different for each of us as it, as it should. So I'm going to briefly talk about uh, four things, which are, if the slide works. Oh, <laughs> Rich is trying to help and I'm pressing it and it's kind of working. If you go back to the one with the four things on you do it there we go (laughs) who's going to be uh great so i'm going to talk about these four things so living intention living from love living as a learner and living in difference although when i said that was like living indifferently it sounds like that that's not what i mean but we'll get to that so firstly living in tension So one of the things that has really struck me, I think, personally about this series is all the different sort of tensions at play here, like all the things that we have to hold in balance and even things that feel like they shouldn't really go together. So, yeah, here's another Danielle Schroer quote that I used actually in an earlier talk. So we're not born sinful, we're born human. Within us lies the potential for both creation and destruction, both blessing and curse. To be human is to be capable of both incredible good and terrifying evil. If we deny either side of that potential, then we're living unaware. So we hold the potential for good and evil, blessing and curse. We can hit the target or we can miss it. We can head in a good direction and sometimes we can veer off course. Another tension is this idea of original blessing being both an origin and a goal, so like an anchor and a calling. So it's something that we have in us, but it's something that is a constant process or journey. So we're good and there's goodness in us, but there's still work to do to live into that blessing and ensure that it overflows into the lives of others as well. And a final tension, I think, is one of dependence and responsibility. So original blessing doesn't mean that we can just kind of sit back and not do anything because we're already good and, you know, God's done it all. But equally, it's not about doing it all ourselves or believing that we, you know, have already have everything that we need without God. So this is a really helpful way, I think, um, of putting it. This again is a Daniel Shore quote. Holding these realities in tension prevents us from seeing our actions as autonomous which goes against our understanding of blessing and our place in a relationally connected world. But it also prevents us from seeing our faith as total dependence on God in a way that takes away our sense of responsibility and human agency. So uh, 
my uh, my wife Sarah and I live in a house that has like loads of steps up to the front door and then even more steps to get up to the first level. So, you know, carrying in the food shop is like no small task. And uh, we always have like a little argument every time we unload the boot about who will take the heaviest bag or who will take the most amount of bags so that the other person doesn't have to carry anything heavy. Because maybe both of us are, you know, independent and a little bit stubborn and so you know some weeks one of us will kind of get to the boot first take like three bags you know like one in each arm one over a shoulder maybe like the house keys in our teeth up the stairs we go and then the other person will be like let me take one and they'll have like one bag and we'll be like no I'm fine I don't need any help and uh, yeah maybe we'd be better maybe <laughs> redressing the balance slightly but thinking we have it all sorted within ourselves you know because we're already good isn't healthy actually one of us carrying a huge amount of bags up the stairs could cause us to fall or cause an injury and equally sitting back and doing nothing isn't healthy either and it removes that sense of responsibility I think that we have to play our part and just sort of keep growing and changing so you know if I sat in the car and let Sarah carry all the bags in on her own you probably agree that was pretty weird hopefully I feel like the last few weeks I've disclosed all this like slightly personal stuff about us. Like I said, I was a stress tidier a few weeks ago, and the amount of people that have been like, "Are you stress tidying, Joe? Are you all right?" <laughs> you know, vulnerable leadership. <laughs> okay, this is Philippians two twelve to thirteen. It says, "Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work." for God's good pleasure. I love the idea of willing and working, you know? So it's like we work it out and God works in us. So I think it's both, it's both and. So practically speaking then, what, what does that look like? Well, I think for me, it's sort of ensuring that we have those systems, those networks and resources that increase our self-awareness and help us grow in our understanding of ourselves. Because I think the more we know ourselves, the more likely we are to be able to identify what our needs are and meet those needs in healthy ways. And we've talked a little bit about that in previous weeks. And also it helps us understand maybe how our experiences might have shaped our choices and behaviour. And I think there's something about not living complacently, you know, like we've got it all sorted and we're fine as we are. So, you know, asking that question, what am I doing at the moment to work on myself? You know, what am I doing to increase my my own understanding of, of me and my background and my experiences and who I am and how that impacts other people? Um, so working on ourselves, but equally not thinking that we're, you know, never enough or that God's love is dependent on our behaviour being perfect or us, you know, being some sort of perfect Christian, because that's not that's not what being a Christian means. And I think living interdependently, uh, both in relationship with God and with others and our church family as well. So taking responsibility, um, doing things for ourselves when we can, but also leaning on others and asking for help when we need it. So that kind of balance of give and take. So that is living intention. So living from love. And I think one of the biggest implications of all of this has to be that we live from a place of love. So again, we start with that sense of belovedness, not our brokenness. And that doesn't mean that we're not broken or sometimes in need of help or being fit. You know, there's part of us that, you know, we all know there's parts of us that we, they're not as we want them to be, but we don't start from that place. That's the point. We start from the fact that we're beloved, that we're good, that we're loved. And so we do everything that we do from there because we're loved, not because we feel guilty or ashamed or because there's something inherently wrong with us. And we also don't live from a place of fear, you know, thinking we're condemned or at risk of going to hell. And I think that hugely changes how we see ourselves, how we see others and what we're called to do in the world. And it's the greatest commandment, isn't it? To love your neighbour as you love yourself. 
So um, there's a Franciscan sister called Ilia Dalio, and she defines love as the highest form of good. I really like that. And I think about what would it look like to see the highest form of good in ourselves, in our communities, in our world. If we could recognise the good in ourselves, if we could see and speak out the good in others, and if we could let all of that overflow into our world, to me that sounds a bit like life in all its fullness, or good news, or shalom, or the kingdom of God, whatever sort of name you want to put on it. And I think when we live from that place, that for me is when others take notice, far more than they do through shouting on street corners, through megaphones, and emotionally manipulative seeker events, and things like that. Um, Yeah, and this, this quote I think sums it up for me. So we draw people to Christ, not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all of their hearts to know the source of it. Love is expansive, it's transformational, it's healing, it's, it's attractive and invitational, it draws you towards it. Whereas judgment or fear is is reductive, it's damaging, it's condemning, shaming, and it's kind of repulsive and it draws you away from it. So I think when we love others and we demonstrate that love, and that doesn't mean being perfect, and it doesn't mean being nice either. Um, Sometimes love looks like being a mess and having an argument with someone and telling them what you really think. You know, love, love looks different in each context. But when we love rather than judge, condemn or exclude, I think it's life-changing, world-changing. I think love is transformational. This is um, from Joseph Whelan. So nothing is more practical than finding God, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, who you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. So again, how do we think a bit more practically uh, um, about that? And that all sounds a bit woolly and vague, doesn't it? So um, what does that look like uh, in reality? So I think there's something for me about loving ourselves. So the, the practical reality of that. So listening to our needs, resting, doing life-giving things, doing everything that we can to be whole and healthy and accepting every part of ourselves. Because if we can't learn to love ourselves, we can only, I think, go so far in loving others. And practically, again, it's really important that we regularly connect with with the source of love or God. So if we don't bring ourselves back to that anchor point, you know, how can we love ourselves and others? So what spiritual practices connect you to that source of love? Maybe it's being outside or in silence or creating something or reading the Bible. And whatever it is, find your thing that connects you to that source of love. Do it regularly. And if you don't know and haven't got a clue, then find out, you know, ask people around. What do they do? Try some new things out. But if we, and also if we live from a place of love, that should change how we see other people. So rather than sort of flawed, broken people that are all inherently bad and need to be saved or fixed, I think we start to see people as, as precious children of God that are inherently good and indescribably precious. And that should also change what it looks like for our blessing to become a blessing. You know, we, we've, I know it's been important for this church, hasn't it, that, that phrase about, you know, blessed to be a blessing, that sense of overflow, um, for that blessing to overflow into the lives of others. 
And at Oasis, we often use a phrase called transformation through community. We say that quite a lot. Um, and uh, Claire Henwood, our, our community worker, and I, we met recently to write a, a community work strategy, which we'll, we'll share with you in the new year. But I want to read some bits of it because I think for me, this is what it looks like in practice. This is the stuff that we do and how everything that I've just said looks like in our, in our community work because that is not separate. That is as much church as, as anything that we're doing right now. So one of our sort of core principles is this idea of transformation through community. So I'll read you this bit. So working as part of local communities, understanding the issues that impact people and together finding practical ways of responding to structural injustice and inequality. So that looks like self, sorry, safe, welcoming spaces for people to come as they are. And what transformation looks like is defined by community members. We do things with people, not to or for them, working towards delivery by people. And we've got something in there about meeting needs. So part of our work is to meet people's needs, whether this be emotional, social, economic, physical or spiritual. However, we also want to help individuals and communities to recognise their strengths, building on and linking these strengths to help them reach their full potential. And then empowerment. We're not a charity that does things to people, but a community that does things with people. Where possible, our services will be developed in response to community voice and will always be delivered, governed and led with and by community members. So everyone who accesses our projects at Oasis is full of goodness. And part of what we do, I think, is, is helping them to see it. So, yet, you know, we'll always meet needs because that, that needs doing. And often that's the kind of, that's the, the door, if you like, into relationship and into community. So we'll always do that. But more than that, we want to empower people to see how they can meet their own needs because we don't want to just provide a service. And that's not what we're doing. We're building a community and community is what transforms people. So when we get feedback from our projects, and at the moment we're in that time of year where it's sort of time to collect all the, all the data for our impact report, uh, which is, yeah, a big job, but it's lovely because you see all this feedback start to come in about the difference these projects make to people's lives. But what always strikes me is that the most impactful things, you know, they're never about, like, the food people eat or the, the shopping they do at the pantry. It's always about relationship. It's how kind the volunteers are. It's a friendship they've made at a living room with, with someone else who attends. They don't feel alone anymore. It's the chance to sit around a table with a bunch of people and enjoy their company because that's love in community so when people experience love I think that's what has an impact and particularly when it's love expressed um, in community so I think it's also really important to understand that the stuff that we do as a church and a charity is an outworking of some of this theology okay uh, living as a learner so we talked before, haven't we, in this series about, you know, perhaps needing to understand the difference between sin and making mistakes in the normal process of growing and learning and changing. So the word disciple actually comes from the same root as the word learner. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to always be learning. But more than a learner, it's the, the implication of the word is more like an apprentice. So we don't just believe, you know, what, what the rabbi does. We try to become like him. You know, we practically follow him and try to put his teachings into action. And sometimes we get that wrong and we see the disciples doing that a lot. But that's OK. That's part of the process. It's part of how we learn and grow. And part of living as a learner, I think, is also knowing that there's always repentance, you know, that new direction or opportunity to change your mind or try again. And I think if we understand ourselves as learners, we give ourselves more permission to get it wrong, to mess it up, to try again, to change and to not have it all figured out. So, yeah, living as a learner, I think, changes our perspective.
Okay, uh, finally then, and after this bit, we're going to move into a bit of a reflection, and then we're going to share communion together. So living in difference. So I don't know what, what, how you found this series or, or what you think about this stuff. You know, maybe it's really impacted you and made you think. Maybe it's totally changed your mind about original sin. Um, maybe you feel it's irrelevant to you that you kind of thought this stuff already and why are we even talking about it? Maybe it just went way over your head and maybe you just didn't really get it. And actually, maybe original sin is a really important part of your faith. And for you, it's been helpful and you don't want to like, get rid of it or, or reimagine it. And I think I just wanted to say that all of that, whatever you feel, you know, wherever you're at, it's okay and it's welcome here. We're not telling you what to think and I think hopefully we, we always raise more questions, I think, than we give answers on Sundays. I, yeah, I do really hope so. <laughs> and we, we talk again a lot about the stuff we say on Sundays being almost like a beginning, sort of the start of something. So we would, of course, encourage you to think more and maybe chat to others and read more if you want and think in your own life about how this might impact you and, and yeah, what your sort of now what is. Because I think goodness, I think it looks different, doesn't it, for different people. So the, the way that we're going to interpret and apply this isn't going to be the same and that's okay. So I think let's have grace and space for those who think differently to us about it and for those that have maybe landed um, in a different place. So, I'm going to make you do something awful now. I would like you to talk to each other. <laughs> so you can just do this to the person next to you, or maybe those around you, and it, um, yeah, if, if you spot someone sat on their own, maybe just check that they don't want to be part of a conversation. Um, and yeah, if you don't want to talk, then now might be a good time to nip to the loo. But just for, just for five minutes, I, just, I would love to know, what's your now what? So how does this... You know, what's the point of this for you? What's the kind of now what for you? Anything practical or anything that's maybe jumped out from the talk about, yeah, actually, that's how I think I need to maybe kind of live this out or put this in, into, into practice. So five minutes, what's your now what? Go for it. Okay. I know I didn't give you very long, but hopefully that's just... Sometimes I find I have no idea what I think and then I start talking to someone else and I'm like, that's what I think. Uh, so hopefully just start some of that, that processing then obviously we can continue it um, at the end of the service uh, over coffee. Um, so we're going to move into sharing communion now. Um, I think if you could just put the first the communion slide on because I can't remember where that is in the sequence of things. Thank you. Um, so yeah, we're, and I think probably the way that we're going to do it today, I guess, is my sort of take on communion in light of original blessing or original goodness, so how we kind of, yeah, um, do communion through that lens. So I, I read from uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So these verses describe the Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, known as the Last Supper. Uh, and as Christians now, we share communion because of those words and because we do this in, in remembrance of Jesus. So I want to think about two words as we share communion together today. Remember and dismember. So when we think of the word remember, I guess we mostly think of maybe remembering something that's happened in the past or perhaps someone who isn't with us anymore for any kind of reason. You know, perhaps a relationship that's broken down or a loved one who's died or a friend who has moved away. And all of that is, is remembering. 
but I think remembering is also the, the opposite of dismembering. So to dismember something is to, to cut it off, to put it somewhere else, to separate it, to forget it. And dismembering perhaps has some more gruesome connotations, particularly if you watch too much crime drama like me. Um, but we can also, I think, dismember ourselves. You know, we can cut off parts of ourselves that we don't like. We can ignore them. We don't like. We, you know, push them away because we think that they make us bad or unlovable or unworthy or broken or not, not able to come and take the bread and wine of this communion. And I think part of the ritual of communion actually enables us to remember. So to remember the amazing things that Jesus said and did while he was on the earth. You know, perhaps that we've maybe dismembered by forgetting a little bit. And also to remember what God has done in our lives. You know, the ways that he's been present with us, provided for us. To remember the parts of ourselves that actually we try to cut off. That are a part of who we are, a part of our story. And that they don't change what God thinks of us. We can remember those parts of ourselves. Knowing that God loves and accepts every part of who we are. And that's what it means to be whole. And we can remember those we've lost. Those that have become separated from us. Those we miss and grieve for. And I think we can see communion as that wonderful metaphor of that final feast where one day we'll all sit together as one family, rejoined, reunited, remembered. And when you go to a funeral, you know, not many people there will talk for ages about the person's death. Well, they, they talk about their life. They remember who that person was and how they made a difference to others, the things that they said and did. And often I think when we do communion, and this isn't like a wrong, there isn't a right or way, wrong way of doing it, but I think we often focus on Jesus' death, don't we, which um, I think is just a bit incomplete. So we dismember Jesus' life, you know, his ministry, the radical, amazing, subversive and countercultural things that he did. So um, before, before we take communion today, we're going to do some remembering, not actually of Jesus' death, but of Jesus' life and Jesus' life as it interacts with ours. So this is the metaphor that came into my head. So we're going to think about like a mic drop moment. So if you haven't heard that phrase, it's sort of the, like the act of dropping your microphone you know, at the end of saying or do, doing something good, successful or impactful. So it, it started with rappers and comedians in the 80s and I think was made famous by Barack Obama, who kind of like dropped his, I think said Obama out and dropped his microphone at the end of a, of a famous speech. And uh, I can't pull it off because I'm not cool enough. And also, we don't encourage it in this church, mostly because microphones are really expensive. And if you, <laughs> if you drop them, they break. Got your back, AB team. So <laughs> last week, Rob told uh, the gospel story of the woman caught in adultery. And this was about somebody who was about to be stoned to death, which was this awful ancient practice where... Um, like, I remember as a theology student, like, they're like really little stones. That must have taken ages, but we're sort of finding out that the context was like, no, no, it was like massive boulders and rocks. It was an awful thing. Basically, these giant rocks were thrown at you until you were dead. And Jesus steps in and says this absolutely killer line, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. Now, that is one of my like mic drop Jesus moments. It is like one of my favourite stories. And I imagine that like awkward silence, you know, the sound of the thuds of the, the rocks hitting the ground and those judgmental men sort of just walk, walking away unable to to judge or condemn this woman and just I imagine that the moment the woman realized that her life was saved and her first glance at Jesus amazing a mic drop moment so again I'm going to ask you to talk to the people around you and um, if you're on the live stream maybe you can do this with whoever you're with at home or you can do it on your own and perhaps write something in the comments if you if you'd like to share 
but for those here, yeah, just maybe with the person next to you and no more than three, because otherwise we're not going to have time to sort of, yeah, um, share with each other. But again, what is your, like, Jesus mic drop moment? What is the coolest, most badass thing that you think Jesus ever did? And it can be in the Gospels, like, the, like an example that I just gave, or it could maybe be something that God has done in your life. Um, so maybe an answer to prayer, a situation that really turned around, a way that you maybe feel that God has really provided for you. So this is going to be our communion act of remembrance today. We're going to talk about um, Jesus and, and we're going to remember him, his life and how that interacts um, with us. So yeah, I am actually going to give you five minutes for this rather than two minutes and say that I'm going to give you five minutes. So if you forget what you're doing, it's on the screen. So what is your mic drop moment when you remember Jesus's life? What are the moments you can remember of when Jesus, God interchangeably, has done something amazing in your own life? And as we kind of share those moments with one another, we'll then uh, end by sharing communion. Go for it. God, we, um, we remember <laughs> you, your goodness to us. And I pray that in those moments that feel really difficult and you know, maybe it's hard to think back if things are tough for us right now, but we pray that those moments of, of goodness and remembering those would carry us through and give us hope for what's ahead. And we do thank you for your goodness to us, both in your life, your death, your resurrection, and how that enables us to follow that same pattern and see resurrection in our own lives. So yeah, help us to remember you in this week, in the weeks to come, when so often we can forget Christmas, of all the busyness and the presence and the expectation. I pray that you'd give us a moment to just remember you in it, in it all. Amen. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.